I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Believe and live. This is the Gospel of John. Good morning, everyone. If you've been following through the book of John, you'll know that Jesus is right in the midst of this struggle between himself and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who are not accepting that he is who he claims to be. He claims to be the Son of God, the one who can forgive sin, the one who is going to give his life as a ransom for, for many people. And so within this epic struggle, we see these vignettes of Jesus uh, encountering people, along the path and how the Pharisees and him get into a dialogue about what's going on with these people. Last week we had this story of the man at the pool who was healed and about the Roman official's son and, and so on. Today we're coming to another story in John chapter 8 that talks about a woman who was taken in the very act of adultery and brought as a pawn uh, to Jesus. I'm going to read the story and then we're going to talk about it here for a few minutes together, all right? So here we go in verse 1. It says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning he was back at the temple in Jerusalem. And a crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and he taught them. And as he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery, and they put her in front of the crowd. Now, a lot of us uh, look right away and they say, well, where was the guy? Uh, obviously, this was a setup. They'd let the man go and they were using her as a pawn because women were worth so little uh, in that day. A teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say about that? And they asked him this because they were trying to trap him in, into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. He didn't say a thing, and they kept demanding an answer. So finally, he stood up again and he said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. And then he stooped down again, and he wrote in the dust. And in this silence, when the accusers heard him say this, they began to slip away one by one, beginning with the oldest amongst them, until the youngest was also gone, and only Jesus was left in the middle of this crowd with the woman. And he stood up again and he said to her this time, Woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And she said, No, Lord, they didn't. And Jesus said, Then neither do I. Go and sin no more. Now, when I read that story, it becomes apparent to me that there are four characters in it. First of all, there's the woman. She's the obvious character in this story. Uh, and she's been caught in uh, what we would call a big sin. Uh, she has uh, been perhaps waiting to get caught for years, knowing that in the back of her mind that her immoral lifestyle is finally going to catch up with her. You ever been in that position? Have you been in a time in your life, perhaps you are now, where you know that the things that you are doing in secret uh, will come out eventually, and it's only a matter of time? I think that all of us have found our place uh, in, in her story. Uh, and what she needs, uh, she needs mercy. She needs to be given a second chance. She needs to be given the opportunity to reform her ways. She needs unconditional love, especially in this moment as she is dragged in front of a crowd before Jesus Christ. 
I also identify another group of people. It's the crowd, uh, and they're observing what is going to happen here. It's, it's almost kind of sick when you think about it. Here's this crowd of people gathered around watching this woman who is dragged probably half naked before Jesus and thrown to the ground. And rather than intervening uh, and giving her some dignity, they are looking at this entire episode and wondering, is she going to die or is she going to live? Some are feeling sick about it. Some are feeling righteous about it. Uh, and what do they need in this moment? They need leadership. They need an example. They need someone who can stand up and put this thing in its proper place so that this woman is afforded dignity uh, and, and they can get on with their day. We find the Pharisees as well. The Pharisees uh, are all about power and control, aren't they? Jesus is a threat to them, and so they're setting him up and trying to take away his popularity, to discredit him, to neutralize their rival, uh, to, to get this threat uh, removed from their ability to control the people and to exercise influence and authority. They're willing to spend the life of a woman to do it. And what they need right now is an absolute paradigm shift. They need a shift from, from about their own power being... Uh, being given to them repeatedly and from not losing that power to coming into the life of someone, including the crowd, and giving an example of mercy and of grace. And then Jesus, well, Jesus is caught in this dilemma. And the dilemma really is this. How does God harmonize his justice that we find in the law with his mercy, his love for humanity? How do his righteousness uh, and his love coexist together, and, and can they even? Because, you see, if God is governed and is concerned with justice, then she must die. And if God is governed uh, and concerned only with grace, then she must live. But how do these two coexist together? Now, as you look at the story, notice two things, please. The first is that Jesus reminds the crowds and the Pharisees that only God has the right to judge sin. Notice again where it says that they kept demanding an answer, and so he stood up and he says, all right, I'll tell you what, go ahead and stone this woman, uh, but do so only if you have never sinned once in your life and you have no sin in your life now. And of course, the older amongst them who reflect back with the wisdom of their years um, realize that they are now caught in this dilemma. They cannot, in front of the crowd, uh, boast that they have never sinned. And so they drop their stones and they walk away. And then the more idealistic amongst them, who are often the younger, finally drop their stones too, until there is only the crowd and the woman and Jesus left. Notice that the Pharisees hid in uh, the darkness again. They were, they were brought into the light. Jesus confronted them and they slunk back into the shadows until only the woman who was left in the light before Jesus remained. And isn't it interesting how she did not take the opportunity to escape in that moment either? but rather she stayed at the feet of Jesus. And so he reminds the Pharisees and the crowd that only God has the right to judge sin. But then he does something else, and this is amazing. He actually does judge her sin. Listen to what he says. He says, woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And she said, no, Lord. And then here's his judgment passed on her. He said, I don't accuse you or condemn you either. So go and sin no more. How did he do that? Well, he did that simply because he, in that entire episode, in that entire scene, was the only one who really could judge her. He was the only one that day that was without sin. And 
he was the only one who in righteousness could pay for his sin. And I believe that as Jesus looked at this woman, he was already thinking ahead to giving his life for her, to dying on the cross for her. And here's the truth. Jesus knew that he would hang on a cross for her adultery, just as Jesus has hung on the cross for every sin that you have committed and that I have committed. He hangs on the cross even today for every single one of us and for all of our sin. The sin that you and I have committed, the sin that you and I are committing, and the sin that you and I will commit. He alone has the power to judge us. He alone has the power to save us and to pay the price for our sin. That's the gospel. That is God coming into the world because he loves us and was willing to die for us. Well, here's the challenge for you today. Who do you identify most with in this story? Uh, can I just uh, confess with you that I identify actually with all three of the people besides Jesus? It's easy for me to identify with the woman, to identify with the fact that I sin, that I have things in my life that I have not been proud of, nor am I proud of today, nor probably will be proud of at times in my life as I move forward. Like the woman, I realize that I am in deep, deep need of God's mercy. I'm also the crowd. I must confess that there are times when I observe the sin in other people's lives and, and, and I wonder, are they actually going to get it? Or are they going to somehow find safety in the midst of that? There are times where I uh, am almost uh, entertained by the sin of other people. And as we look at the polarization of our society even today and how camps are developing around all sorts of issues, yes, I can identify with them too, with my lack of mercy and compassion uh, and with often my need to see things righteously, which then puts me into the third group, the Pharisees. How often have I judged someone instead of showing them compassion? How often have I rather have seen someone punished than forgiven? Yes, I find myself there too. How about you? Can you identify with those groups of people? You see, Jesus knows that I'll always be that woman, and he forgives me for that, and he saves me for that. Um, and I think the Lord even accepts that I will stumble in sin the rest of my life until I die and am with him. But here's where I think Jesus... Uh, has a special word for all of us. As he looks at the sin of this woman, what he says to us is, go and sin no more. And for her, that meant stop committing adultery. For the crowd, it meant show some compassion and, and sh give her some dignity and allow her some grace and, and quit being entertained by the sin of others. And for the Pharisees, it was stop judging people. Show compassion and mercy and grace instead. Understand that only God has the power to judge sin. So, to summarize, God knows that we will always need his forgiveness, but he calls on us to show grace and compassion to others. So will you join me in that? As you help me become the person that I know God wants me to be, will you let me also help you in that journey that we're on together? I'm counting on you to help me, and I'm offering myself to journey with you as we project to the world just what it means to be the woman forgiven and sinning no more. Let's pray together. Father God, we are so thankful for this story and for the grace that you showed this woman, how you could have judged her, but you refused to, Lord Jesus. Instead, you died for her as you died for us. And I pray that, God, today we would identify completely with her and reject both being the crowd and the Pharisees so that we may also show the world your grace, living freely in our lives. We bless you and we thank you in Christ. Amen. 
God bless you. Have a wonderful day.